same words on my mind looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith and by the way somebody needs to be praying we're going to need someone to take over children's church so somebody be praying and if you're really honest with the Lord why you're going to accept the call because there's somebody here that can do a job and there's some reasons for that that we'll not go into right now we don't like to dirty hang out our dirty laundry in front of visitors <laughs> all right but uh, reason number one is it's uh, rough on Sister Hostclaw to uh, give the uh, message up here or teach Sunday school lesson go immediately right down for children's church that's reason number one of course there's others involved and we would like to continue it we feel like it's good we'd like to continue it but we are going to have to have some help in those areas Let's uh, read this morning. Would you mind standing just for a little while to read uh, Hebrews, the, probably the first uh, two verses is plenty. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on, at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Father, that it was salvaged, it was given to us in this present day. Pray that you would breathe upon it, Father, and let your word sink deep into the heart, mind, and lives of all of us that are present, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the telephone conversations, and our phones have been ringing off the hook, we uh, get calls all over. In fact, we get more calls from people outside the church than we do in the church, so you must be doing fine. We must be pastoring a real good bunch of people that needs no help from the pastor. All right, and, and if that be the case, we appreciate that. And if it's the other way around where you just don't have any faith in him, well, we don't appreciate that. <laughs> but we get calls from individuals, places where we have passion and places where we would help. And yesterday was one of those type of days where there was problems everywhere. Individuals that have been introduced to the power of God and to the Word of God that were suffering through some bad times and uh, this one individual, of course, was burdened down with so many things. The young boy that my wife was talking about had uh, been caught stealing some year and a half, two years ago, served some time, had some counseling and what have you, and was let out because of his parents vouching for him, and now and then he's arrested again with uh, uh, service station robberies and what have you, and it's about to tear the family apart. And this individual, though not part of the family, was concerned about it and concerned about her life. And the words she said immediately, she said, Brother Hosclaw, I just can't go on. I just can't go on. And I thought, well, she was probably saying what a lot of us have said in her heart and in her life more times than we would uh, like to admit. But as something turned over in my heart and this scripture immediately came to my mind, and with it, I think, came a message probably that's pertinent to us this morning. And if we don't have a need of it now, store it up, because someplace, somewhere down the line, you're going to need it. But I read the scripture, and then 
I notice the first part of the second verse where it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author, which is the originator, and the finisher, which is the perfecter or the maturity of our faith. And the words that I spoke to her is, It is hard for me, sister, to, and I won't call her name, because I think probably she may come before too long, uh, I said it is strange to me, and I cannot accept it, that God would begin something in her life that he cannot finish, or that he will not finish. And when we say those words that I just can't go on, or that I have gone as far as I can go, perhaps those are good words. Perhaps those are words that should bring us down and make us to realize that when we have reached that point where we can do nothing else, where our thoughts can't think of anything else and our feet can't carry us anywhere else and our hands can't do anything else for us, then we should remember Jesus and remember and look to him to realize that he was the one that gave birth to us. He was the one that was the beginning of our faith. He's the one that purchased it. He's the one that started it. And he's the one that called us to an altar of prayer. And there, through the shed blood of Calvary, he redeemed us and began us on our journey of faith. And if he is strong enough and powerful enough and careful enough and compassionate enough to begin us on our journey of faith, then I am secure in the fact this morning that he is strong, powerful, and compassionate enough to keep us and perfect us and bring us into the kingdom of God perfected through him. But I am persuaded that he has to do it. I read about two years ago, and I think this has changed, an AMA report where it says over 50% of the sicknesses is in our mind. I think probably that's had increased considerably, and that's not to say that an individual is crazy or he's mentally ill. It just simply means that's the way the devil works today. That's the way that he moves today. And they said 50%, and back two years ago, was in the mind, and psychologists in their writings wholeheartedly agree. And when we look at that, we see the world is in turmoil. Amen? Wherever you look around, whatever, there is problems in this world. And there's problems that leak over from the world and affect us. They come over into our lives. And because we are in this world, we cannot be alienated from them. We are touched by them. And being touched by them some way, we have to know how to handle them in our own life as well as be able to comfort someone else that's driven past their abilities to cope or handle. Now, humanity is driven beyond that which is able to cope by three evil forces. I'm sure that you could name a thousand and one, but I think this morning the heading of all of those would be under guilt. That's a force that ruins lives. One of them would be under fear. Individuals are fearful of life and what is going to happen. And all of that, and then anxiety, which is weary. It's taking its toll. And these three things make alcoholics. 
When you talk to anybody that is driven to drink, they're driven out of guilt, they're given, driven out of fear or out of anxiety or weary, are all three of those. And they make alcoholics. They drive individuals to suicide. Suicidal individuals are driven by at least one of these and maybe all. And they wreck homes and more than that, they destroy unstable souls. Anytime you hear over the radio of a suicide, some one of these, if not all of them, has been responsible for that. An individual living under fear and under guilt. And some way, there's no way for them to get out from under it. And they're anxious. They're weary. As far as the world is concerned, it could explode. It could go up. And so many things to destroy their belief in a world tomorrow. And destroys souls, wrecks homes, drives people to suicide, causes drug addictions, causes alcoholism. And more than anything else, just gives us the blahs, in other words. Whether any of these, we just get the blahs. We just, as Christian people, wonder, what's the use anyway? I'm just one individual. How can my life touch somebody else? What if, what if I was to say, I'm one voice out of a million of voices that drown mine out. And if we're not careful, we'll sit down under these things and forget the world is driven by this and sit in our complacency that's there. Now, the psychiatrists agree. I've worked around them, uh, been a part of them, uh, from born sinner with many retarded to alcoholic sinner and other places. And they all agree that if man could cope with these three things, his life would be full, his life would be stable, and his life would be happy. But they admit very frankly that we have not found the key. And when I listened to that, and when I heard that, here is man with all of his wisdom, obtained from books written by scholars, maybe uh, some of the wisest ones in the world as far as man's brain is concerned. And here's individuals that have identified what is wrong with humanity. I agree with them. They have identified the things that wreck and destroy humanity, but they don't know how to alleviate these things and how to rid mankind of these things in their life. And this lets us to know how far the mind and elect and brain of man can take us. He can find the problems. He can identify the problems, but he can't solve the problems. And because of that, I am concerned this morning from the very depths of my soul why, knowing all of these things, does the world continue to hang their hopes upon the intellect of man, upon the wisdom of man, upon the self-righteousness of man. You find individuals listening to man before they will listen to God. And they would admit we know what is causing the world to be in chaos. We are aware what is driving mankind to the brink and to the end. We know what makes alcoholics. We know what drives individuals to drugs. We know what causes individuals to uh, commit suicide. We know what wrecks homes. We know what destroys unstable souls. We found this out. But we don't know what to do about it. That's where Jesus comes in this morning. Hallelujah. That's where God comes in because God has...
has the answer. He's had it for thousands of years and he still has it inside. He has the answer to guilt. You see, he doesn't want us to live under guilt. You would be surprised at Christian individuals whose life is motivated and they live with a guilt complex. And he doesn't want us to do that. Guilt is always suspicious. Do you know that? It suspects everybody that sits beside you. It, it, it suspects your, uh, your leaders. It, it, it suspects your teachers. It su- uh, suspects your church officials. Uh, guilt is suspicious. But God has told us in Romans 3 and 19 that all the world is guilty before God. We are aware that when we stand before Him, we stand before Him ridden with guilt. Amen? There's not a one of us that can come and stand before God before we know Him to say, God, I am guiltless. There's been some blood on our hands someplace. There's been something that we have done. But friend, guilt that could destroy a soul that could take our soul this morning and destroy it. God one day, through His Son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago when my guilt came crashing down on me, when I recognized I was a guilty soul and hell was my doom, when my judgment was sure, when my fate was inevitable, when my hell was imminent, out of the shadows of this guilt stepped a man called Jesus Christ of Nazareth and placed my sin upon his shoulders and obliviated and erased and completed the guilt that was upon me and set me free from the guilt and stain of sin. Something man can never do regardless of the great heights he might reach. He can never erase. But Jesus did. Mounted the cross. Hallelujah! Willingly gave his precious hands for nails to be driven in. And that crown of thorns pressed down upon his lovely head because of me and mounted the cross and hang there and erase the guilt and stain from my guilty soul that sets me free and makes me able to face Him and realize that I am free from all guilt and free from all stain. And these things, once I keep everything under the blood, God has solved my guilt problem. God is taking it away. I can look at individuals and I don't suspect them. Amen. I can look at lives and regardless of how mean they are and regardless of how far down they went, I know that God can clean them up. And He wants to. And He'd like to. And He does. He has. He is. He still will. You see, God has that problem. I hear the voice of uh, John the Revelator sometimes as He screams out some of these things to us. And then there's fear. Fear. Now, we've solved the guilt problem. Hey man, you can look back over everything that you've ever done. And when we was out there without Jesus, we knew this is not right. We knew this was going to lead us to hell. We knew this. We knew we'd burn somewhere. We knew this. And we was guilty with nothing to offer. And it would destroy us. It has destroyed a lot of people. But then we heard about Jesus one day. 
Thank God in hearing about him, we made application and guilt was satisfied. And then there's fear. It's simply unbelief parading in disguise when we're afraid. Uh, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 tells us that if we sin, we have to face a fearful judgment and fiery indignation. In other words, that's hell. Amen? And we know that if we sin, that is exactly where we're going to go except we repent. But Matthew 28, 10, and I looked at that a long time. I realized, Father, that's 2,000 years old or better. That's been written all of this time, and we always put it to a resurrection. But I thought how infallible are scriptures, and how we keep them so pent up with one thing. But I noticed some words, three words, that Jesus spoke there that should set his soul on fire. And he simply says, be not afraid. Amen? That's the first words that he spoke after his resurrection was be not afraid. And some way that ought to travel down to the halls of eternity and all of these things in the paths of glory and some way walk in to the church here at Bird's Eye and let Jesus tell you not to be afraid for he's with you. And some way fear ought to be gone from our life. He also said in Luke, fear not little flock. Why not? Because it is your Father's good pleasure. In other words, He really wants to do it. To give it you, the kingdom. Now I realize kingdom uh, is to come. Amen? Bible says to pray thy kingdom come. I realize that the thousand year reign, the kingdom of God to be set up, and uh, then when Jesus Christ, uh, the Son, uh, uh, sheds His glory and God the Father becomes all in all, I realize that's the kingdom, everlasting kingdom. But God has got more for us than that. We do not have to live to look for a kingdom. He tells us the kingdom of God is within us. And a lot of us spend our time and waste our eyesight and waste our prayers praying for God's kingdom to come. And I want it to come. I want a thousand year reign of peace. I want all of this to be over with. But I've got one thing that makes me not afraid. I have it right way down inside of me through the power of the Holy Ghost. I have something that eradicates all fear. I have something that, that when I begin to get fearful, and when I begin to look out and I think of all the things that's going on over there in the Gulf and where uh, explosions are taking lives and Wilmore and the turmoil and the boiling pot that is there and all of these countries with nuclear bombs, hydrogen bombs and all of this are involved. I get to wondering, my God, when one of those are unleashed, what about humanity? And then I see the AIDS plague that's going to destroy at least uh, 35 or 40 percent of humanity before it's over with. And then I watch individuals, young people, killing themselves and killing one another. And then I sit sometimes and watch the lethargy of the church and the failures of prayer and intercession. And there's a fear grips my soul. And we have sat and watched. And you may not agree with me on this, but we have sat and watched a generation of God's people 
lose the generation under them. Amen, Brother Hoskell. We have sat and watched our lives sometimes live so callous, and we don't understand and don't try to understand about God's will and way in our life until the sons and daughters under us care nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now don't tell me that times have changed that much. Because there's been ages and times when the world has, has faced the same chaotic mess that we're facing now. And some way or somehow, parents had the integrity to rear their children in God-fearing atmosphere and not lose them. And friend, when a generation is lost, your country suffers, your family suffers, and your church suffers. When children are not made to be God-minded and our lives are lived so chaotic and with so much division that they want nothing to do with God or the house of God, they say, if this is what God does, I want no part of it. And we lose a generation. And when you've lost a generation, that's fear. That's the fear that I'm talking about. That's the fear that's way down inside of me. But I've got to realize that God said, I don't want you to be afraid. A little flock. Now that doesn't mean there's going to be five or six. But in comparison to the masses of this world, as far as God's leading a huge herd into the kingdom, this will not happen. But there will still be multitudes that we can't number. And he said, it's my pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. In other words, I'm going to give it to you now. It's yours in the future. But whatever you need, there is peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost, which is God's kingdom dwelling in us. Amen. But we have to believe it's there. And we have to believe God enough to realize what He says. And then there's weary. Probably one of the greatest killers in this world and probably the one thing that brings more affliction to bodies and lives than anything in this world is continue to be anxious. And anxious, being anxious and weary is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. In other words, when we come to the place where we can tell God, and as I told that lady yesterday, it's good sometimes for God to bring us to the completion of mankind. To bring us to the place where we have no place else to go. Where there's nothing else we can do. And all our greatest imagination. There's nothing we can think of that will write our life. And maybe, just maybe, that will cause us to fall on our knees and accept God as all in all. And say, Father, these are your problems. You solve them. We worry about a lot of things. I'm sure you have heard this story. I think Brother Alvey was telling me that, and I had heard it uh, other than I heard the modern version of it, Brother Alvey, <laughs> where instead of the shovel, I had a bulldozer. Is that all right? <laughs> but anyway, he was telling me this, and I thought it went in right real good, whether uh, I may not get it like he told it. But he was telling me about the man that read the Bible and found out in there that uh, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, where well, you can say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and it'll go. 
And so this man was sure that he had faith and he prayed. He didn't want that mountain right out there outside his window. He wanted it moved. And so he prayed and he said, God, I've got the faith uh, for you to move that and I want you to move it. And he woke up the next morning and he looked out and it was still there. And he went back and he said, God, I know that I've got faith. I want you to move that mountain. He went back the next day and it was still there. And so he got back into the Word. And I like that part of it because if something doesn't work in our lives through faith, let's get back into the Word and see where we have messed up. Because you can rest assured God has not messed up. So we've got to find out where we have messed up. And so he looked in the Bible and he read where it says faith without works is dead. And so he prayed then the next day and he got up. Brother Alvey says that he looked out and he saw a shovel in that mountain. <laughs> well, I had the modern version of it. That was told to me they uh, had a bulldozer out there. And the man got the idea that if you got the faith, God will supply the equipment and then you can move the mountain. All right? But so many times we just want God to do it all. But God has supplied us through the power of the Holy Ghost the equipment to move any mountain that is in our life. Yes, and remove any anxiety and fear that is in our life. God was so aware of humanity. So aware, I think, most of all. You see, in this particular one, he spent more time writing concerning this one to the church and to the people than he did any of the rest of them. Because I think he was aware that when we went to him, we would become aware that he has erased all the guilt and stain. All right? And that when we come to him, he some way we could settle back in his arms and not be afraid of what's going to happen in this world because we know that he has got it under control. But he was also aware that there was one little thing that was going to torment and maybe make havoc out of Christian life and disturb and destroy and cause sicknesses sometimes in our life and uh, more distress and mental torment than anything else. And that was anxiety and weary. And so he writes in more different places, and I've got time to mention. He writes, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious about anything. I thought, that's a big order, God. That's a big order. You're setting me down in the midst of this world that's falling apart. <laughs> and it's so full of chaos, and it's so messed up. And you set me down in the middle of this and tell me not to be careful or anxious and don't worry about a thing. Amen? But something gripped my heart. If God said that, He must have meant it. I don't think He had to fill out a page. I don't think He had to finish a paragraph. I don't think He just happened to put that in there. I think He was writing directly to me and directly to you and said in Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about a thing. I've got it all under control. I can remember one time my son was so vexed at something and I won't even mention what it was. It was something that really messed his life up. 
and he was probably 12 or 13 years old. And it was a serious thing in his life, more serious to him than it was to me because it was his problem. <laughs> you see, my problems are always more serious to me than yours are. <laughs> I, I have probably more problems and greater problems than any of you do. And you probably think the same thing, that nobody knows the trouble I see. <laughs> I mean, just nobody had ever been through what I've been through. Nobody understands. Nobody's sat in my seat, and nobody's walked in my steps. And to be truthful about it, all down through the ages, humanity has walked in the same step. Fact of business is, Jesus paved the path, and he says, all you've got to do is follow my footsteps. You don't even have to make any. But anyway, he had a serious problem, and he came in. And uh, you've got to know my son and I, we're close, but we're not a lovey-dovey type individual. My wife is. She likes this hugging and all of this. But if I can shake hands with her, <laughs> no, I take that back. That's not right. <laughs> but but with, a lot of, with a lot of other people, you know, I can shake hands, pat them on the shoulder, you know. And our family... As far as my son and I, who just didn't have that type of relationship. We understood one another. But he came to me, and he simply laid it all out, and he said, Dad, I, I'm just concerned. I don't know what to, what to do about it. And all of this, and big old tears running down his cheek, and something gripped my heart. wasn't really the first time, but it's one of the, first, one of, one of the uh, very few times that I just reached and got him, and I just put him right close to my bosom, my chest. And I said, son, it's going to be all right. You just leave it to me. I'll take care of it all. And he looked up at me with those eyes, and he said, would you, Dad? I said, I'll take care of all of it. And I thought, now, here's a natural father. Knowing the problem, and I wasn't so sure I could do it. I just knew that he needed something. But here's a natural father that's looking at his son and saying, you don't worry about it. You, don't, you just don't worry about it all. You just put it in my hands, and I'll take care of it. And I thought, if I couldn't do that, and I really did it, and I took care of it, if I couldn't do that, what about a heavenly father that with our problem, we just come and lay him in his lap, and he says, you don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. Amen. I'll just handle it for you. Hallelujah. And Peter says, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. The Greek word for this is he's thoughtful of you. He thinks about you. And when I read those scriptures, sometimes I wonder, God, you couldn't really be talking to me with all the problems you've got in this world. <laughs> and with all of it's got worse problems than I have. And yet, when you read it, you have to read it personal. And he's saying, just cast. In other words, don't fearfully hand them to him like you're fearful that he won't accept them. But it just means take them hold to him. Because he's waiting for them. Just like I would throw a ball to you and say, I want you to catch this. And you're ready for it. And you catch it. You see, you're not going to catch God off guard because he's ready for your problem. And all you've got to do is cast your problems on Him, for He's thoughtful of you. In other words, this morning, 
Regardless of the seriousness of our problems, the frivolousness of them, God is thoughtful. You're not out here sailing around in a little canoe on ocean despair without any help at all. God knows exactly where you're at. And he's saying, let me handle it.